You are listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a show covering the hometown Milwaukee Brewers as we analyze the roster, report on the latest rumors, and discuss their quest to bring the World Series trophy to Milwaukee for the first time. Here are your hosts, Peter and David Go. Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I am your host, Peter, alongside David. We've been on the podcast a lot lately, a lot of things going on in Brewer's world. Not sure that all are exactly are positive, but we're bringing on a guest today, David Gasper. We had a great time talking with David. Uh, he's the editor-in-chief in Reviewing the Brew and definitely an expert in all Brewer's things, particularly in the draft and prospects. So we certainly uh, lamented about the Brewer's trade deadline, but also spent time also talking about some positive things, including Jackson, Shurio, Sal Freelich, Joey Weimer, Garrett Mitchell. So certainly enjoyed our time with David. I I think you will too as well. So we will get to that interview here shortly. Before we get to that, David, what is today's random player of the day? The random player of the day for this week is Taylor Rogers, left-handed reliever that the Brewers acquired in the deal from Josh Hader. He was with San Diego this year, had a 4-3-5 ERA, actually is leading the league in games finished, which is not that notable. Uh, he's second in saves, though, across Major League Baseball. And he allowed just one run in his first, I think it was 20 appearances. And then since then, he has allowed like 20 in his last 22. So kind of followed actually the Josh Hader season trajectory uh, in how he's pitched this year. But he's kind of a, a lesser Josh Hader. We talked about him on our bonus trade episode that you can go check out. Uh, that's up right now. Uh, he spent the first six years of his career with the Twins, though. The the three years between 19 and 21, he went two and four all three years. So kind of the Chris Davis theme going on with the recurring stat. And he was an all-star in 21 as a member of the Twins. Yeah, I forgot about that uh, Chris Davis stat. Shout out, what was it, 240? 247, 247 batting average for four straight years, which is rather impressive. Of, uh, I think the best part of that, though, was when... It was the last game of the year. He gets a hit in his first at-bat, and Bob Melvin takes him out of the game to preserve the 247 batting average. Bob, oh, Bob Melvin, that's right, of the Oakland A's. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that's like an all-time great managerial move. Definitely only in baseball would that be a thing. But anyways, uh, we'll get off the Chris Davis tangent. Our trivia question today, David. Back in 2015, Major League held a Franchise 4 campaign that allowed fans to vote for their four most impactful players in each club's history. What players were in the Brewers quartet? So, of course, you have to start with Robin Yount and Paul Molitor. You can check those two off the list. That is correct. So, I, I'd say the other options that I'm kind of thinking between uh, or among are Cooper, um, Gantner, Ben Sheets, maybe. Could go with a pitcher, maybe Higuera. Well, or Sheets, I guess, uh, I said. But I think Cooper's one of them. Cooper is number three. And then it's whether or not Ryan Braun had played enough leading up to that really is, it's, 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 did they go the longevity route and the nostalgia of Gantner or did they go the, the peak of Braun? I'm going to say Braun is the fourth member. You are incorrect. And they did not go with the longevity route of Jim Gantner. They actually went with the exact opposite of the longevity route. They did not go with Prince Fielder. CC Sabathia. They did not go CC. Denelson Lamette. Denel- 
he was fifth okay. uh, on the Brewers uh, franchise. Raleigh Fingers. Really? He was the number four. Uh, of course, our, our favorite, number 34. Uh, of course, his number is retired as well. But Raleigh Fingers was the fourth most influential uh, player on the, I guess, on the Brewers' Mount Rushmore over, like you said, it was 2015, but Ryan Braun, yeah. Ben Sheets, Teddy Higuera, Dan Plezak, Tim Unrow, all names that I would have preferred to see I, over Raleigh Fingers. I think we should maybe do another segment on whether or not they should ha- actually have Raleigh Fingers' number retired. I would. That's not really much of a segment. There's not much debate to that, I guess. Oh, I guess that's <laughs> true. But speaking of former players, also wanted to throw a shout out to Jonathan Lucroy, who just officially retired. We we'll do more of a deep dive on his career. One of the more underrated careers in Brewers franchise history. And actually, if you are doing a Mount Rushmore of Brewers in terms of Fangraphs wins above replacement, he would be on it. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Uh, he did have an underrated career. I really enjoyed. Uh, his time with the Brewers, Luke, that is, and uh, had a lot of fun watching Luke Roy. So a little bit sad, but also, I guess, glad to see him retiring. So with that, we will get to today's interview. Just a heads up, we did record this on August the 3rd. So uh, any uh, time-sensitive topics, I guess you can be aware of that. But without further ado, here is our interview with David Gasper. Today we're welcomed by David Gasper. He is the editor-in-chief of Reviewing the Brew, hosts the Cold Brew podcast, as well as a radio show on Rights for Prospects 1500 on the Brewers. David, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right, guys. I'm doing all right. You know, I'd be doing a whole lot better if uh, the trade deadline worked out a little bit nicer for the Brewers. But uh, outside of all that, I'm doing great. Yeah, that's a big uh, caveat outside of that, Um, at least in in Brewers fandom. uh, kind Kind of, I guess, permeates the whole thing right now. Uh, I was just watching the Padres yesterday, and it was a little bit painful, maybe more than a little bit, to see Hayter. And the worst part was that he came in in a tie game and went one, two, three, and then Grisham hit a walk-off home run. It it was it was brutal. Yeah, that combined with uh, now Juan Soto's over there, so everyone from that fateful play in 2019 mm-hmm. and the wild card games now on the same team and all combining together to win. Yeah, that was. That was a lot to try to take in, especially the first day. Then you see, I mean, you see Devin Williams' comments and mm-hmm. everything else. It has been a wild 48 hours uh, since mm-hmm. uh, Josh Hader's been traded. Yeah, well, we, we can get back to that a little bit later. Just wanted to talk about what you do uh, first and kind of ask you about that. Uh, so you, you're with Reviewing the Brew, one of the, the biggest, if not the biggest, Brewers blog that's out there. Um, so what exactly do you do? You're, you, you're called the editor-in-chief. Um, do you, I don't know, do you want to reveal yourself? Do you run the Twitter account? Is that someone else? <laughs> um, I know I see your name on a lot of articles. What exactly do you do for reviewing the brew, and, and how did you get started with that? Yeah, the, the editor-in-chief title is one I gave myself, because uh, okay. sometimes you got to fancy up the title. But yes, the Twitter account is me, for, for the most part. I mean, there are some days where I can't do it. Uh, covering the game. So uh, Matt Carroll, my co-editor, uh, you know, takes charge. Um, but for the most part, the, the Twitter account is is me. Um, and I'm mean, reviewing the brew. I mean, I, I got started there in college around 2017, uh, just kind of at the end of my sophomore year. Uh, just started as a contributor. The site was really just kind of just getting going. It had mostly been pretty quiet at that point. There were really only two other writers Uh, at that time and you know since then you know been just you know writing consistently and just kind of growing from there because 
you know, I was I was on the radio side of things. So I'm just like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll try out some writing as well. Just a way to, you know, mm-hmm. get some more of my thoughts out there, add another skill. And it just kind of, you know, kind of built up. I got to enjoy it more and more and started writing more and more often. And, you know, eventually got up to uh, an editor spot. Um, I actually ended up going to a, a different fan-sided site for a while because um, both the editor spots were filled. Then one left, so I came back in June 2018. I took over as the editor, and uh, we have really kind of taken off and grown ever since. I mean, writing consistently, news, analysis, opinion, um, you know, really kind of everything you could look for uh, in a blog and just kind of covering this team and just kind of providing what the fans are looking for, what they're looking to read. Um, And it's been... It's been incredible how we've been able to grow that site since and, and grow a lot of uh, loyal readers and loyal listeners to the podcast and, um, you know, loyal followers on Twitter. It, it's been it's been incredible how we've been able to build this site up from, you know, what it was doing before to what it is now. Mm-hmm. And one of those areas that you grew it was the Cold Brew podcast, which I believe is is the podcast for reviewing the brew Um, as well as as the sports on deck radio show that you do describe a little bit about the radio work that you do you mentioned that you got that start before you went to reviewing the brew yeah so i mean my major in college was communications with broadcast digital media emphasis you know that was kind of my goal to work my way into into the media side of things uh sports radio stuff like that and you know that's that's what I was doing at school up up in Lacrosse. You know, I had the had the student radio station up there, um, but you know, I, I wanted to you know kind of expand what I was able to do. Um, so that's what, kind of where you know I added writing to it. But you know, radio's been you know a big part of it for me. I mean, at the radio station up there, I worked at uh, ESP on Lacrosse uh, up there as as well as a producer, filling in on air, uh, having on air spots, talking brewers because uh, obviously you know baseball's been been my thing so you know just kind of growing it that way and then um you know i did play by play in the northwoods league uh for a year that was back in 2019 and then just kind of you know working trying to find a trying to find a job in radio i got the job with with iheart last year um and just kind of been growing in that ever since just got my show sports on deck with dave gasper uh on 1310 wiba here in madison uh got that started about two months ago now um, and it's, it's been going well, you know, it, it's, it's only kind of, it's only Saturdays at 10 AM, uh, for right now, but, uh, it's, it's something that, that we're looking to grow and something that's, that's going well pr- so far. Um, so that's just kind of where I'm, where I'm kind of going with the, with the career, the sports media side of things, covering baseball, basketball, football, you know, whatever, talking, talking sports on the radio. Um, it's, it's been a, a dream of mine and a goal of mine. And, you know, it's something that, that I've been able to make happen here recently. Yeah, you know, I'm curious with living in both the podcast world and the radio world, any differences or, you know, do you prefer one or the other? Uh, what are your thoughts on on radio versus podcast? You know, it's there are advantages to both. I mean, podcast, you can you can certainly get away with a lot more. You don't have FCC restrictions on podcasts, so so you can you can swear if you want to. Um, I mean, you don't really have, you know, too much for hard clocks for, um, you know, trying to get to commercial breaks at certain times or anything like that with podcasts. So, you know, you can have it a bit more free flowing 
that way, but also it's, you know, it makes it a little bit more difficult to, to reach the audience. I mean, with, with radio, yeah, I mean, you can have people tuning through. You have people who just kind of have it on that station all day long um, and just kind of uh, listen through. You can really reach people a lot more easily because they don't have to seek you out as much as they do on a podcast. Um, but, you know, also podcasts you can listen to anytime. You know, it's not like if, it, you, if you miss it live, it's done. And that's why also for, you know, a lot of shows, and especially for my show, I mean, we do podcasts. You know, we record it, we put it up, you can listen back to it later if you aren't able to listen to it live. So, you know, I think podcasts are, are definitely uh, good. They're a great way to, to kind of, you know, get some reach to people um, and just kind of get your thoughts out there and have people find you and, and have a lot of fun with it. Um, you know, and radio, I mean, we utilize podcasts uh, as well all the time. I mean, we, we podcast a lot of shows, um, and that that's not just an iHeart thing. I mean, that's pretty much most radio stations. So mm -hmm. um, it's just kind of a great way to listen to a show at, at any time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly some distinctions. I think you, you kind of see, like, the notorious radio show hosts that always have the wild opinions. But <laughs> I bet for every for every, like, one of those, there's probably – five podcasters that have crazy opinions that don't get maybe the attention that the radio hosts do. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, uh, that's part of it as well. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I mean, some of the things that, that you say on radio, I mean, you just kind of see go out. It's like, well, really? But, um, it, uh, it happens and, you know, you, you definitely have a, a bit of a bigger reach with that and, and a lot more people listening. If you do kind of, uh, go that route, the hot take route or whatever else. Mm -hmm. uh, it makes it much easier for people to to find that than um, on some podcasts. Mm -hmm. Well, I promised that we'd get back to the Josh Hader trade. There were a few trades that the Brewers made over the past couple of days, but none bigger than that trade that sent Hader to San Diego. Uh, just to recap, he went out west, and then in return, the Brewers received Taylor Rogers, left-handed reliever. They got Estuary Ruiz, a center fielder, Robert Gesser, left-handed pitching prospect, as well as Denelson Lamette, who they curiously designated for assignment today. Did you think it was the right time to trade Hader? Uh, you know, I, I think trading an all-star closer mid-season at the trade deadline is not the best time to do it. I, I understand why, you know, I, you know, and we had an article go up on reviewing the Rue about this, why, why the time was now. And, you know, I get a year and a half control. I mean, if you wait till the offseason, what you get back is going to be a lot less because you only have them for one postseason instead of two postseason runs mm -hmm. um, for the acquiring team, in this case, the Padres. So I get it in that sense. But really what, what they need to, if you're going to trade your all-star closer, your franchise cornerstone, closer at the trade deadline when you're in first place you have to get some sort of cornerstone impact type player back either in that trade or in a different trade later on and I don't think the Brewers did that you got Taylor Rogers who sort of helps backfill Hater's spot but he's not as good as Hater. Mm -hmm. you know no one no one's going to say that he is you know even if he has a solid rest of the season he's not as good or as dominant as Hater. so you get him, so you make yourself worse in the bullpen, and then you get a couple of prospects, and it's like, okay, well, we've made ourselves worse in this area. 
how are we going to, you know, add another impact player to this team? And they just weren't able to do it. They, they just didn't do it. You got Matt Bush, you got Trevor Rosenthal. And I, I think what they're trying to do is recreate Josh Hader in the aggregate and use three players to fill Josh Hader's shoes. I mean, it's practically what uh, Moneyball was when you know the the scene of Moneyball where Brad Pitt's sitting there is like we're trying to recreate Johnny Damon or Jason Giambi in the aggregate and they used three players to do so the problem was Giambi left in free agency like they they had no choice he was gone Hater mm-hmm. you still had a year and a half of control you had no need to trade him uh so that's what makes it all the more frustrating and then not getting that impact player back uh it it just it doesn't seem to make any logical sense yeah, it seems like one of those trades that, you know, maybe maybe the players combined that the Brewers got back in the deal end up outproducing Hater in terms of like war or uh, or or kind of the the um, like money estimations in terms of the value. But there's a lot more to the trade than that. He makes more impact than his two wins above replacement that he has every year, uh, and I thought it was questionable to say the least. I think it was either you who put it out, or maybe if you didn't like the opinion, maybe it was um, Matt. Uh, you mentioned on the on Twitter that the Brewers should try to at least sort of maybe rectify the situation by calling up Asturi Ruiz and giving him every day at bats. Do you think that he'd represent an upgrade over Taylor on the production they're getting right now out of center field? And do you think that he could be a long-term answer in center field? I think it's certainly an upgrade over Jonathan Davis uh, out there for sure. Um, you know, as you know, I think with what Ruiz brings, it's a different skill set than Tyrone Taylor. I mean, Taylor's more a, a power type of of guy, power over hit maybe a little bit. You know, very strong dude. You know, doesn't hit for super high average, but he also has not been hitting much for extra bases lately, uh, which has been a problem. And I mean, Ruiz is incredibly fast. Uh, he's got 60 stolen bases already on, on the season in the minor leagues. He's also got pop, 13 home runs. He hits for a super high average. He he makes contact. He doesn't strike out. So, or at least now he doesn't. I mean, he used to. Uh, but he's he's made a lot better swing decisions this year. Um, and he's really bumped up his stock. So, I mean, this is someone that I really think could be uh, a guy to at least, you know, trust now going forward. I mean, he's pretty much big league ready. He He's ready. So put him in there, see what he's got, you know, see if he can, you know, prove that, that he's uh, worth, you know, w- what you paid for him and try to provide some sort of boost to this lineup, to, to this offense. I mean, center field is a spot you could easily upgrade over Taylor and Davis. So, you know, put Ruiz out there, see what he does. I mean, I still think Mitchell and Freelich probably have higher ceilings out there in center field. So, uh, you know, long-term, I still could see one of them being... Actually, long-term, I'd probably say Jackson Churio uh, with the way that he's been going. I mean, he is looking like a superstar over there. So, but in the short term, I think Ruiz has to be the the guy to provide some juice to this lineup. I mean, he can get on base, he can steal bases. I mean, he's going to be, you know, really kind of what you need on this team and a way to, you know, at least provide something to, to boost this lineup and... It's it's where they where they got to look. He's the only bat they acquired at the deadline, right? A fringe, kind of a fringe uh, major league player was the only bat that they acquired. But I I would agree with you. I don't see a lot of downside in in putting Ruiz in the lineup. We know what we can get from Davis from Taylor. 
we might as well see if we can't, you know, like you said, get Rui some at-bats, get him hot before the playoffs. Maybe we get some value out of him this year. Maybe it's a little bit down the road. But certainly he's probably the most intriguing player that the Brewers added at the deadline. And like I said, he's kind of a triple-A, maybe major league ready type guy at this point. What about your thoughts on the Brewers losing Antoine Kelly and Tristan Peters? Those probably go a little bit under the radar amidst the, uh, I guess, uh, monstrosity, as Brewer fans would probably call it at this point, uh, of a trade deadline. So the Brewers, of course, gave up Kelly and Peters in trades at the deadline. Either of those guys that you particularly liked or were sad to see them go? Yeah, I mean, the, the Tristan Peters one really just gets under my skin because, I mean... Like, I just saw him on Saturday. I was just at the Timber Adlers game last Saturday here. And I know it's not, I know it's only just one game, but still, I mean, Tristan Peters was three for four in that game with two doubles. I mean, he was, he was really looking good. He's got a near 900 OPS on the season, hitting over 300. He's got some pop, got some speed, got, got like 13 stolen bases. You know, he's looking like, you know, a really solid prospect. Uh, to to have around and kind of move on up. They just moved him up to double A and then he gets traded. And like, it, it's like, okay, look, if you trade Tristan Peters, fine. I mean, is he going to be a starting outfielder for the Brewers in the future? Probably not, but he is worth a whole lot more than Trevor Rosenthal. I mean, Rosenthal has not pitched in two years. He, he hasn't pitched since 2020. He's dealt with injuries. It's He's still dealing with an injury. The Brewers could have signed Rosenthal a couple of weeks ago for essentially nothing. They, they wouldn't have get give up anything for him. And now they're paying pretty much the entire salary that the Giants agreed to pay him. And they're giving up Peters for a guy who isn't going to come back until the end of the month. So you get one month of him, maybe two, depending on how far you go in October. And you give up a top 20 prospect for him. When, when I saw that the Brewers got Rosenthal and looked at how long it's been since he pitched and they just got signed off the street a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, okay, this is either cash considerations or some 17-year-old in the Dominican Republic. But no, it's a top 20 prospect. I, I don't get what, the, what they're doing here. I mean, David Stern said after the deadline that, oh, you know, there's some hitters that we were looking at, but we just, you know, didn't feel comfortable with the prices that were being set. But you felt comfortable dealing Peters for Rosenthal, who hasn't pitched in two years? Are you kidding I mean, that was that just sent me over the edge with, with this trade deadline. On, on top of not getting a bat, I mean, if you trade, trade trade Peters for a bat or trade Peters for a healthy reliever, fine. Okay, I get it. But for for Rosenthal, that just makes it makes zero sense whatsoever for them to do it. It's a massive misuse of, of prospect value and prospect management. It's it's awful. I, I cannot underscore how much I hate that trade and how it's going to end up looking no matter what Rosenthal does it was a massive overpay and yeah. I mean Ant- Antoine Kelly you know I also saw him on Saturday he was pitching that day he didn't look that great uh, was, he was throwing mostly fastballs and he was he didn't really have great command um, four walks in four innings six K's six runs allowed um, just kind of really a little bit all over the place but I mean still there there's a lot there to like um, and he had shown some improvement this year. Um, I just didn't see it in that game. But, I mean, overall, in the numbers, he's pitched a lot better. Um, I don't think that deal is as bad necessarily value-wise. I mean, Kelly's, you know, still kind of a, a mid-level-ish prospect. I think he was ranked 16th at the time, but probably moving up a little bit uh, on the next pipeline update. 
Uh, I had him at number 10 on my personal list. Uh, but you trade him and you get two and a half years of Matt Bush, who's pitching well and has pitched recently, uh, thankfully. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you make that. It's like, okay, fine. You know, it's two and a half years of a flame-throwing Matt Bush um, to really kind of help you on the back end of that bullpen. Okay, you know what? Fine. You, you have to give up something to get something sometimes. So I'm not as mad at that one. But the, the Tristan Peters for Rosenthal deal just boggles the mind. I was, to use a th- thesaurus here, I was flabbergasted by that trade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, no, I, and I think all of us alike. It seems almost like, you know, the Brewers obviously had that, that the trade to acquire Drew Pomeranz a couple of years back. That trade couldn't have gone any better for the Brewers. And it seems like since then, Stearns has been searching for the next Drew Pomeranz. Like I think about Daniel Norris's acquisition last year. Uh, that was obviously another great acquisition. And then this year, it's same same type of thing where he was kind of, seems like, taking a flyer on some guys, just almost a lottery ticket um, that one of these guys is going to turn into the next Drew Pomeranz. And for the most part, I would say Stearns has obviously done a, a good job in his role, but it seems like the last couple of years, he's definitely had some questionable deadlines, questionable moves. But I don't, I think this really probably culminated in the combination of of the of course the size of the hater deal and the loss of uh, of Tristan Peters for like you said really no reason we could have just signed Rosenthal a few weeks ago if we'd really liked him that much. Yeah, and I, and I know the Brewers do like him. I mean, the Brewers have liked Rosenthal for a while. I, I think they they tried to get him prior to him signing with Oakland in 2021, where he had the uh, thoracic outlet surgery and then he just you know wasn't able to pitch. So they've liked him for a while. And, you know, I think Stearns just kind of got a little caught up in the opportunity to, to get him there. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't sign him a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if it was the price or whatever it was, but you're taking on pretty much his full salary. And he's only been there two weeks, so it's not like the price has gone down much. Right. So it just it, it doesn't seem to make much sense, given the circumstances, to, to go after him now. I mean, he's a free agent at the end of the year, and you could end up losing him, and, and you gave up Peters for – Maybe a month of them. I mean, it, it just kind of doesn't really make much sense. And yeah, I mean, the last couple of trade deadlines, I mean, you know, there was also the, you know, there was a Daniel Norris trade last year where they gave up Reese Olsen, which I also thought, also thought was an overpay. And then there was a John Curtis deal where they gave up Peyton Henry, uh, who has been, you know, who's a pretty solid catching prospect. And Curtis pitched in, what, five games? He gave up runs in all of them, and then he blew out his elbow, and then they DFA'd him, or they non-tendered him that offseason. So, I mean, really, the, those relief acquisitions did not work out last year. Eduardo Escobar was the only one that worked out. And the reason that that deadline was sal- was salvaged was because they got a bat. They got someone to help the offense, and they, ju- they didn't do that this year. And that's what just kind of upsets you know, everyone so much. You didn't get the bat, plus you lose Josh Hader on top of it all. I mean, it, it just it doesn't make any, any logical sense. Yeah, no, we were we were just sitting down uh, with uh, Eric Agnew from the Miller Park Minute. Uh, ironically, we were talking just the day before the Hater trade, and we asked him, you know, what he was hoping the Brewers would do at the deadline, and we were both surprised to hear him say he was. He just said, "I'm happy with the team. I'm, if the Brewers don't get anybody, I'm perfectly fine. Like I'm happy with the Brewers roster," which at the time kind of surprised me. But I do have to kind of chuckle. Like two days later, we didn't even keep the same team. Like we we literally got worse at the deadline as opposed to getting at least marginally better, which I think we all thought the bare minimum was at least a reliever or two, like a Matt Bush or something like that. 
um, and the Brewers weren't able to do that. So before we move on to, to prospects in the draft, which is actually the reason we brought you on here uh, today, any other any other thoughts you'd share, um, or uh, is that is that all on the on the deadline? I mean, th- this trade deadline is just it, it's it's massively disappointing and, and infuriating. I mean, they they weren't able to. You know, if you make the trade, if you pull the trigger on a Josh Hader trade to, to massively reshape your bullpen, you have to have something else coming up in, in the pipeline. You you have to have a plan uh, for some other big thing up your sleeve. And they didn't follow through on it. I mean, once you pull the trigger, you have to you have to follow through on that plan. You have to get it done uh, because I mean, now they risk clubhouse morale going in the tank. I mean, we saw it with Devin Williams' comments right after the trade. I mean, they were not happy. Player, players were very upset at, at this and, and how this whole thing went down. And it's like, okay, like, you know, maybe you can, maybe they, they can understand it and, and move on and be happy with it if they get some other big dude to come in and, and help out. But with what they did, I don't, it, it didn't inspire confidence in me. I don't think it inspired confidence in the rest of the fan base. And I don't think it inspired confidence in the players. I mean, the, the moves they made essentially did not improve their chances to win a World Series this year. They're like, oh, it's it's about long-term, you know, viability um, and, and competing for a World Series. We don't want all these, you know, down cycles. We want to avoid lengthy rebuilds, which is fine. But also, it's the trade deadline. You have to improve your chances to win this year. That's that's the point of it. And I felt that they did not improve their chances to win this year. And, you know, Stearns even said, it. this move doesn't compromise our chance to win this year. Doesn't compromise doesn't mean improve. So you may not have compromised it, but you but you didn't help it either. And I don't think and the and he said it doesn't compromise our expectation or desire to win. But it it doesn't improve your ability to win. Like like it, it compromises your ability to win. You can have all the desire in the world. If you don't have the ability, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I think it was also a little bit maybe telling that Josh Hader in his first interview as a Padre said, I'm excited to be here. This is a team that's not only looking to contend for the postseason and to make the postseason, but to win a World Series and kind of had a little bit of a smile. And everyone knew what he was alluding to with the uh, kind of the environment and the direction that the Brewers have gone. Uh, Certainly much different topic going over towards the draft and maybe one that hopefully uh, won't boil the boil the anger over in Brewer fans quite as much. Overall, I thought the Brewers did a pretty nice job with the draft, but I, I want to hear your thoughts on them. Uh, you being a little bit more into prospects in the draft. First of all, what were your thoughts on the first round pick, Eric Brown Jr., shortstop out of Coastal Carolina? You know, I mean, he's someone that that really kind of fits the Brewers mold. Um, extremely athletic. I mean, that's really kind of been their trend the last couple of years, uh, going for elite athletes. Um, so, I mean, that's something. I mean, he's... He's, he's a shortstop. He's going to be able to stick at shortstop uh, going forward. I mean, decent hit tool, some power, uh, not too much. Um, you know, some good speed. He'll be able to stick up the middle just fine. But it's not a super high ceiling with him. I mean, I don't think there's any sort of all-star ceiling there. I think at best you're getting a league average MLB everyday shortstop and really I mean with the 27th overall pick there's nothing wrong with that if you can get an everyday shortstop out of the 27th overall pick you're happy with that 
So, you know, really, I, I don't think it was that bad. You know, it, it might have been a little bit of a reach for the for the value, um, getting him at that spot. But, I mean, w- without that comp A pick this year, w- with the competitive bounce pick being around B, um, he certainly was not going to last to their second-round pick. Um, but, I mean, I, I like Brown. I'm not super thrilled with him. I mean, there are other guys I was looking for. I, I you know, I'm always looking uh, looking pitching, you know, for sure. I mean, there, there are a bunch of college arms there that I really liked. Um, but, you know, you, you really kind of can't go wrong. You, you can't go too wrong with getting a college shortstop that performs well, that hits, that's extremely athletic. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that, that kind of seemed to be the theme was that from the national writers that it was a very Brewers type pick with them being more of a model heavy kind of, he, he, I mean, he had good numbers in college and especially the strikeout rate was what stood out to me. He had a very low strikeout rate and I believe he had more walks than strikeouts this year. So yeah. that's definitely something that's encouraging especially out of a guy that you're drafting. You don't want to take a first rounder that's got swing and miss concerns unless he can really make up for it. They kind of went a very different direction with their second pick. Jacob Mizorowski, big righty out of Crowder College, same Juco as Aaron Ashby a couple years back. But he's a big righty that's been up to 100 miles an hour, got two quality breaking balls and a developing changeup, according to Todd Johnson. And he is not the, the polished guy. Uh, he's the one that could require a lot of work. They signed him over slot. What do you see in Mizorowski? Did you think that it's too high of a risk to take in the second round? Did you think that's someone that could be a perfect pick that they really hit on? What What were your thoughts on Mizorowski? No, I, I don't think it's too high of a pick. I, I think that was a good spot to to get him. And actually, I mean, the you know scouts themselves were much higher on Mizorowski than uh, the media guys like MLB Pipeline or Baseball America. I mean, the, the Brewers had to go massively over slot on them, 2.3 million, over a million over slots. They had to go that high um, to get him down to that second round pick. There were a bunch of other teams earlier on that were offering uh, money as well in the $2 million range to get him to sign. Um, I mean, all these negotiations really kind of take place beforehand. So, you know, they, they offered the 2.3 to get him down there. They really like him. They, they view him as the best pure, one of the best pure arms in this draft class. Um, and I mean, really with that talent, I would love to see what the Brewers can do with him, especially in that pitching lab. He's six foot seven, can throw a hundred miles an hour. I mean, that, that's a hell of a foundation to start with. So, I mean, you put that guy in the pitching lab, you develop those pitches, develop some command, um, you know, really kind of sharpen the, those secondary pitches and you've got a, a potential future stud right there. I mean, it, it is so intimidating on the mound, you know, a guy that size, I mean, I, I used to be the same thing. I'm six foot eight. You know, I was a left-handed pitcher. You know, coming down the mound. Except the problem is, he throws 100 miles an hour. I threw 75, and that's why I'm on a podcast. And he's signing for 2.3 million dollars. So, it's you know, I, I really like the pick. I really like the ceiling there. I mean, the, the Brewers went with a pretty safe selection and Eric Brown first with their first pick. Then they went with the risky upside selection with Mizorowski in their second pick. It's the same kind of strategy they did in 2019 when they took uh, Ethan Small in the first round and then Antoine Kelly in the second. You know, Ethan Small was your safe, high floor, low ceiling pick. Antoine Kelly was your risky upside, high ceiling, low floor kind of pick. And it, I think it balances out well. And I, I really am excited to see what the Brewers are able to do with Mizorowski. Yeah, he seems like the kind of guy who 
could have easily been a first rounder if he had a good year at LSU next year. Seems like the guy that could really raise his stock with just even one halfway decent spring against high level competition. Yeah, I mean he's the 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 Brewers like drafting LSU guys. Uh, like the the Brewers scouts and LSU recruits uh, recruiters, I feel like are at the same same spots all the time. I mean Bryce Trang was an LSU recruit. They signed him away a couple of years ago. Uh, now they got Mizorowski, and then you know they signed a couple of other guys later on, Brady Neal and Jaden Newt. Uh, out of high school, who were also LSU recruits, they were not able to sign either of them, uh, but they were able to get Mizrowski and um, yeah, they they like stealing from LSU apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Robert Moore, he uh, comes from Arkansas or the University of Arkansas. He was someone that was projected to be a first round. Maybe if he was draft eligible last year, he would have been a first rounder. But this year, he slid to the Comp B round after the second round. Is he someone that could rise quickly through the system? I know he's maybe a little bit more polished, of course. Good baseball background, being the son of Dayton Moore, the Royals president. Yeah, I, I think he's the first one to the big leagues from this uh, Brewers draft class. I mean, he's someone that, that he really knows the game. You know, he's very mature. Uh, you know, he's going to take to minor league ball pretty well. I mean, some of these some of these other guys might have a little bit of an adjustment period. Uh, going to, you know, playing games every single day. But I think Moore is going to adjust well. Uh, I think he's going to be able to hit enough and be just fine. And, you know, I think he could have a, a pretty long big league career. I mean, he's got that, you know, grinder, gamer mentality, just knows the game inside and out. Um, he's the perfect kind of guy to to really just kind of make it to the big leagues quickly and have a nice long career. Uh, you know, really, I, I could see him even as – like a Craig Council type, where he just knows the game so well, is athletic enough, and is able to hit enough to stay around and can play shortstop, second, third. And, you know, anywhere you put him, he's going to be able to play uh, at least at a, at a decent, adequate level. So, you know, I'm really excited that they were able to get more. I think they were pumped to get him there with the 72nd overall pick. So, you know, I think he's someone that's going to move quickly throughout the system. You mentioned those couple other LSU recruits, high school guys that they weren't able to sign. Were there any guys that the Brewers were able to sign that are maybe in the later rounds uh, or really anywhere anywhere beyond more that you're excited about or you think we could see potentially having an impact in Milwaukee someday? Yeah, I mean, there were a bunch of guys there on day two and three that I liked. Um, you know, Matt Wood out of Penn State, the catcher in the fourth round, is someone that I really liked. Left-handed hitter, Big Ten batting champion this year. Uh, you know, great on-base skills, you know, can great contact skills, doesn't strike out much, draws his walks, has some power, uh, you know, really solid defender, should be able to stick behind the plate. Uh, the Brewers really do like their catchers. They do like their offensive catchers. So, you know, Matt Wood, I think, is going to be the, the latest in the line of that, and I'm really excited to see how they're able to, to develop him, and I think he should be a pretty good player going forward and, and could be an everyday guy. Dylan O'Reilly, the shortstop in the third round. I mean, pretty much everyone was surprised by that pick because no one knew him because he was a high school kid from Canada. And, you know, he's incredibly fast as well. Uh, you know, really solid contact skills. I'm excited to see more of him uh, as he goes along and what he could end up being. Um, elsewhere there on, on day two, I, I liked Ben Metzinger in the seventh round out of Louisville. Uh, I thought he had really good numbers this year when he was finally healthy and he could be you know, worth a whole lot more, or, or he could have been, you know, second or third round value just based on talent, but because he was a fourth round, or because it was a senior sign, fourth year senior sign, 
and he had been injured for so many years or dealt with it for the first few years of his career in, at Louisville. Uh, that pushed him down, but I really like Metzinger. Uh, Taden Hall, catcher in the ninth round, probably first baseman going forward. I really like his contact skills and, and power ability. And then Luke Adams in the 12th round, they're able to sign out of Hinsdale Central uh, in Illinois. Uh, they're able to sign him for, you know, decently over slot there, I believe 282000 And, you know, he's got big power potential as well. He's someone that, you know, it, it may take a little bit longer to develop because he's a high school kid, but uh, there's a lot to like with his contact profile and his power ability. Yeah, certainly a lot of upside across the board in the draft for the Brewers, but certainly none uh, none more than Brewers' top prospect, who you mentioned earlier, Jack Jackson Churio. We got a chance to see him play uh, within the last couple of weeks as well since he's been brought up to Appleton. Just 18 year, years old, of course, they're definitely – you know, he didn't perform all that well. I think he was one for four when we were there, but certainly athletic. We did notice he likes to swing the bat a lot. Uh, that was something that we saw for sure. And recently um, getting all sorts of national media attention as the Brewers' top prospect. So you already mentioned him earlier. What are your thoughts on Jackson Churio? I love Churio. I mean, I, I went to see him on Saturday, and first, first at bat, uh, he hits a home run to dead center. 100 miles an hour exit velo. 410 feet to dead center. So I'm sorry you guys weren't able to see that kind of that, that kind of game from him. But yeah, first at bat, boom, home run. I'm just like, all right, this this kid is uh, this kid's the real deal. I mean, it is it is impressive what he's been able to do at, at such a young age, uh, at such an advanced level. I mean, he's he was the youngest kid in the Carolina League, uh, and he still dominates it and gets promoted um, to to an even higher league. So. Um, it's, it's insane the kind of potential that, that this kid has. And, you know, really, I think he's the highest rated prospect in Brewers history in, in the prospect rankings era. I mean, Keith Law of The Athletic just put him at his number three overall prospect in baseball. I mean, that, that's insane how far up he's moved in just a couple of months. Like, back in April... He was in extended spring training. He wasn't even assigned to an affiliate yet. He wasn't assigned until beginning of May. And from May 3rd, when he got out there, to August 3rd now, as we're recording, he's gone from just a guy who was a good signing in the international, in, out of Venezuela to the top three prospect in all of baseball. I mean, that, that's how quick it's gone, uh, and that's how, how crazy his performance has been. I mean, there's no weak spot in, in his... Uh, zone. He can hit the ball any part of the strike zone, hit it well, hit it with authority. Um, it is it is a superstar level five tool profile that we're seeing from him. I mean, th this we haven't seen this in, in a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that Churio and, and the quick rise he's had, I mean, 18 years old, crazy to think about. Uh, I'm thinking about other 18-year-olds right now who are just finishing up high school and Cheerios out here. Think about when I was an 18-year-old. and Yeah, right? I know, right? Uh, so do you think that that was in the back of David Stern's mind at all in the deadline, knowing that, you know, I, it's far from Jackson Cheerios knocking on the door to the big leagues, but he's 18 years old and he's already been outstanding. Like you said, Keith Law ranked him as his number three overall prospect. So any thoughts? I mean, is David Stern's have this in the back of his head that maybe he's coming up in two years. And so he needs to also make sure that 2024 and 2025 brewers have a chance is, is what are your thoughts on that? 
I mean, I, I think it definitely Churio is going to be in the back of his mind, you know, when it comes to, you know, trades and, you know, what his value is and what the plans for the long-term future are. Uh, but I mean, with the deadline in the, in the short term, and I think, you know, perhaps the reason why he didn't go out and get really an established center field bat, that'd be more so because Garrett Mitchell and Sal Freelich and Joey Weimer uh, are all knocking on the door and just got promoted to triple A. And those guys have been knocking the cover off the ball in double A for the past couple of weeks. Uh, especially Freelich and Mitchell, um, and now they're all up in AAA, and they're they're a step away from the big leagues, and they're doing the same thing. They're hitting the ball well up there. So, I, you know, I think it might be more so that Mitchell and Freelich uh, might be more ready to take over in center field in the short in the near future, perhaps even later this year, rather than you know Churio is coming up behind them. You know, if you're looking in, in the near term and what they could be looking at in center field, that's where, you know, you have Ruiz and Freelich and Mitchell, and those guys can come and step in and take over some outfield spots. And, I mean, Churio, you'll, you'll fit him in when, when he gets up here, but, you know, you're still at least a year or so away from that. But Freelich and Mitchell and even Weimer, those guys are pretty much right there. They, they could call him up tomorrow, and, you know, they'd be – the, the Brewers would be fine. They, they'd be essentially ready. So and I think those guys were more in the back of their back of Stearns' mind at the deadline rather than Churio. But with, with what he's done, Churio's definitely taking up a lot of headspace in that Brewers front office. Of those three that you mentioned, Sal Freilich, Joey Weimer, and Garrett Mitchell, who do you think has the best chance at having uh, like a an all-star level maybe kind of gear in them? Who do you think maybe is is the best of those three? I still think it's probably Garrett Mitchell. Um, you know, just finally being able to see him healthy, and now he's driving the ball as well. Uh, he's hitting some more home runs now ever since he's come back from that oblique issue. Uh, he's got more power potential than Sal Freelich does. He's got a little bit more speed than Sal Freelich does, um, and that hit tool is obviously still good. So I would, I would say Mitchell might be the closest to it. Um, you know, Weimer, if he's able to, if he can still hit for a high average and have those those home runs, those towering home runs that he always hits, you know, I think he's going to be able to as well be, a, be at an all-star level. But he does have the strikeout issue. Weimer does strike out a, a fairly high amount. Um, that may cut into his batting average. It may cut into his ability to get on base fairly often. But... The power is is exciting, and you know if you hit 35, 40 home runs a season, it's a lot easier to become an all star. So you know I think that that could lean in there as well. Um, but I mean I really I really like Mitchell as having the highest ceiling of the group. Yeah, I think you're talking about Weimer. I think maybe a good outcome for Weimer could be what we're seeing right now at a Hunter Renfro. He's yeah not not necessarily a star, but somebody who's good power bat. Pretty good defensively, got a good arm, on uh, and overall a solid player. Maybe in yeah. his best and slightly better speed. I mean, he Weimer is essentially Renfro with better speed. Okay. I mean, he like Weimer's already got twenty some stolen bases this season. Got a cannon for an arm. So I mean, if you replace Renfro with Weimer next season, you know, really you lose nothing defensively. You get probably the same amount of offensive output plus a whole bunch more stolen bases. Yeah, are those three, we, we could see one of them. I think it kind of depends on what they decide to do with Asturi Ruiz. Uh, I think he's probably the most advanced, so maybe you give him a shot 
you were kind of alluding to that on Twitter as we as we were talking about earlier in the episode. Are there any other prospects you could see coming up for the Brewers this year? Of course, Ethan Small right now is on the roster, um, but outside of those outfielders, Ethan Small, Bryce Turing maybe, or someone else who's in either Double A AA or Triple A. Yeah, I think Bryce Turing is a guy that I could definitely see them calling up at some point soon. You know, if they don't, if they want to leave Ruiz and the outfield guys down there, I mean, Turing has been getting reps out in center field this year as well. Obviously, with all those outfielders up there, he's probably not going to be getting as many now. But uh, Turing is someone that I think they could call up uh, relatively soon, and I think he'd be ready for that. He's been hitting the ball extremely well. Doesn't have much power uh, to go along with it, but. Uh, he's getting on base. He's hitting the ball extremely well. He's seeing it well right now. So I could see them calling him up either in September or, you know, maybe even a little bit before uh, if, if they really want to and, and get him some of that experience because I think Terang is probably going to be the heir apparent at second base. Uh, I think they're going to dump Colton Wong in the offseason, decline his option, and I, I could see them go with Terang next year, but they, they're probably going to want to get him some major league experience before they do that. So I could see them calling up Terang uh, before the end of the season. And then now that Pedro Severino has finally been DFA'd, uh, Mario Feliciano, I could see if, you know, something happens with either Narvaez or Caratini. Uh, I think Feliciano would be the guy to call upon. Alex Jackson is still injured. So uh, I could see them going with Feliciano uh, if one of those guys goes down. Yeah, I'd definitely be in favor of of getting two ranks sometime in the major leagues for the, for the reasons you mentioned. I, I think it makes it's a natural fit to let go of Wong at the offseason, and I'd love to see him step up. So hopefully the Brewers give him a chance to play this year. So I guess it's, it is kind of interesting that the Brewers' you know prospects are more bat-heavy, a little ironic given the roster, obviously. Um, kind of the flip of where the roster is, obviously, today. But certainly some exciting things um, on deck for the Brewers in their farm system uh, a little bit less exciting trade deadline, of course. So for all the Brewer fans that are um, quite disturbed by the last 48 hours that they've seen unfold, what's uh, what's your closing words of encouragement for Brewers fans as they uh, either approach the postseason or the future, however you want to look at it? I mean, the, the future is still, you know, relatively bright here for, for the Brewers. I mean, they still have Burns and Woodruff for the next couple of years. They've already signed Freddie Peralta and Aaron Ashby to contract extensions. Um, they do have these really good young hitters coming up in the pipeline uh, that they're going to need to produce. So, you know, they, like, as David Stern said here with, with the hater trade, you know, they're going to avoid lengthy rebuilds, if at all possible. They don't want to do them that they know fans don't want to do them. And, you know, I get that, and it makes sense. So, so I mean, they're building this team so that it's going to be competitive for years to come. And, you know, perhaps their strategy of, you know, I know no one wants to hear it, but as many bites at the apple uh, <laughs> as you can, uh, perhaps, you know, maybe maybe one year that does pay off. Maybe one year they get hot at the right time and they're able to to get hot in October and win the World Series. You know, there, there is a luck aspect to it. You know, it, it just, it would be nice to see them, you know, kind of make the moves to to go all in or to really kind of make the, the moves necessary to improve this roster, uh, to make it seem like a, a World Series-capable roster. Um, you know, it, it'd be nice to see that, but, you know, perhaps their strategy does end up working out. You know, perhaps as, as many bites at the apple does work, and perhaps they get into the playoffs this year and, 
you know, they get hot at the right time heading into it and, and they end up winning it all. It, it could happen. I mean, it, you know, those chances didn't completely go away. But at the same time, if you don't, everyone's going to be pointing fingers back at the deadline. I know I kind of went back negative there, but <laughs> it's, it, it, it is what it is, man. Like, if, if they don't win it all this year, if they fall short because of, especially because of a bullpen failure, if that's what causes them to, to lose, say you get to a game five or a game seven, and, you know, it's a winner-take-all game, and your bullpen, you know, Matt Bush or Trevor Rosenthal or Taylor Rogers isn't able to get it done, everyone's going to be looking back at Stearns, looking back at the trade deadline and pointing fingers, and it is not going to be pretty. And then you're going to have all these months to think about it and stew on it before you get another game. And we have all these months now to think about it and stew on it because they're not able to make any more transactions, uh, not able to make any more trades to help. So we'll see what happens. You know, uh, David Stearns and, and Matt Arnold, they haven't, really steered this team too wrong before um so perhaps you know really it all really it all ends up working out better uh than we think you know we saw that with the drew pomeranz deal we thought that was a disaster and it ended up working out all right so you never know what might happen it's it's david stearns he'll surprise you and who knows maybe it'll work out i just don't see it right now yeah yeah certainly stearns and arnold the brewers they really look at the Brewers organization and improving the organization. A fan, obviously, as fans, it's, it's easy. We're looking at the team and are the Brewers a better team now? And I, I think you could make the debate one way or the other about um, are the Brewers a better organization after the deadline? I would say they probably are, but at the detriment, of course, at, at this year. Um, so like you said, with David Stearns and Matt Arnold, you kind of have to wait a couple years before you make your final judgments, as we all know with the last Padres trade, of course. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how how things turn out. We really appreciate you joining us on the podcast, sharing your wisdom on the Brewers. Where can people find you uh, on socials? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at uh, dgasper24, and of course follow uh, reviewing the Brew on Twitter. That's uh, got a lot of stuff coming out there. Um, yeah, a lot of my personal stuff there on at dgasper24, and then you know podcast stuff. You know, with Cobra Podcast, we're gonna have that coming up this week, and uh, my radio show, Sports on Deck, and that's coming up on Saturday. So, you know, just kind of, you can follow me on there, and uh, all the news will, will be there at, at DGS for 24. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks again, David. Appreciate you. Appreciate having you on. Hope to have you on again. And uh, we'll we'll have to bring you back in maybe two years and uh, talk about how good Rosenthal was for the Brewers this year, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I, I'd be happy to, yeah. Uh, yeah, invite me on anytime, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. We extend our thanks once again to David Gasper of Reviewing the Brew and Sports on Deck for joining us this week. And we also extend our thanks to you, the listener, for being with us for yet another episode. As the Brewers head into the dog days of August looking to right the ship and regain control of the NL Central, we'll be right here to bring you all more coverage of our beloved Milwaukee Brewers. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, go Brewers. Thank you for listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review our show on whichever platform you're listening on. If you enjoyed it, consider supporting us through the link down below. See you next time.